You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Hatred, hatred for the brethren is to demonstrate that you don't have eternal life abiding in you, but you're not born again. John has been telling us since day one that just because you say you're a Christian does not mean you are. Unfortunately, John makes it clear. He says, if this is you, you're deceiving yourselves. You're deceiving yourselves. Previously, Pastor Dave explained that showing God's love to others demonstrates his love for you. Today, however, Pastor Dave showcases how the opposite effect takes place. How, if a Christian hold only anger and spite to a neighbor, it demonstrates a disregard for God's love in their own life. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he continues his message, Love, Obedience, and Faith. Cain and Abel had the same parents. So they were taught about God. They were taught about the sacrifices. They were taught about the offerings. They had heard and learned. So that's what we see here. What John is trying to say here is a major warning to all of us. He's saying that the children of the devil can masquerade as true believers. They regularly attend services. They might even bring offerings. But as we've said before, and as you know better than I, coming to church and even making offerings not necessarily proof that you've been born of God. The real test, love the brethren. The real test of a person born of God, born again, is to love the brethren. And Cain failed miserably. Why? Because his spiritual father was the devil. Meaning that his attitude and his actions came directly from Satan. He was a murderer, just like Satan. And then when he was confronted with it, he lied, just like Satan. So what's the great contrast here? Well, in a little while, we're going to read in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. Notice what it says. It doesn't say God is like love. It doesn't say one of characteristics of God is love, one of the attributes of love. It says, no, God is love. It's his essence. It's who he is. God is love. In John the Gospel, Jesus declared that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John's also going to say that the Spirit is truth in 1 John 5, 6. So those who are the family of God practice love and they practice truth. And remember our study last week? Perfect practice makes perfect. And somebody reminded me that imperfect practice makes imperfection. You are what you practice. So what was the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering? It really doesn't say. We don't really know until we get to the book of Hebrews. And when we get to the book of Hebrews, specifically in the Hall of Faith chapter, in chapter 11, it says in verse 4, by faith, 
Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. It was by faith. How do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So what does that tell us? That tells us that somewhere along the line, God made it clear well, what was accepted and what wasn't accepted. Somewhere along the line, God made it clear. He must have given specific instructions on how he is to be worshipped. Well, he has given specific instructions, even in the New Testament, how he is to worship or how we are to worship him, right? Where? John 4, the Samaritan woman, God is spirit, and you shall worship him in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Cain rejected God's word and decided to worship his own way. And as we saw, this is a dangerous place to be, an extremely dangerous place to be. This shows that Cain had a better relationship with Satan than he had with God. He had a better relationship with Satan than he had with God because Satan always tries to turn things around. He always tries to turn things around. He always tries to say, reveal on God's truth. He says, oh, I'm going to mess this up. What was his question to Eve, who happened to be Cain's mother? Has God said? Has God really said? Makes you question God's word. Now, we don't know what outward sign the Lord gave Abel that his sacrifice was accepted and that he gave Cain that his was rejected, but we know the results. Abel went away with God's approval, and Cain went away angry and disappointed. God even warned Cain to be careful. He came dangerously close to sinning. Sin was crouching at the door. Sin was just waiting to pounce upon him. God even gave Cain encouragement, saying that if you will obey me, you can live in peace. God said all these things, but instead of listening to God's warning and direct disobedience, Cain plotted and killed his brother. This anger that he had turned to hatred. He didn't repent, so he became a murderer. Take a minute and look at the progression of Cain's disobedience, if you will. Cain's disobedience started with a lack of faith. He didn't believe God's promises. It resulted in his first disobedience and then turned to hatred. Cain's dis disobedience and hatred were based on pride. Why is his sacrifice better than mine? After all, I did this with my own hands. Cain's disobedience and hatred made him miserable. Cain refused the warning that God gave him, and sin came in, and it became hatred. A root of bitterness grew in his heart. Cain was evasive about the sin of hatred and tried to hide it. But God found it out, didn't he? God knows all things. We can learn a lot about this progression, about how the lack of faith, unbelief, which is sin, disobedience, which is also sin, can lead us to other sins, which could be hatred. When our faith is weak and we're in unbelief, like Cain, we can become prideful and we can lean on our own understanding and, and we can lean on our own strength. We, too, circumvent the commands of God. When we disobey the Lord's commands to love, like Cain, we too can become hateful towards others. And when we're disobedient to the word of God, like Cain, we can become most miserable. But even in our disobedience, God still gives us warnings, doesn't he? And he'll always give you a way out of temptation. 
Always make a way for you to escape. He warned Cain, this was going to happen. Watch out. He warned Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you as wheat. God will always give you a way out. But when we refuse God's warnings, we become just like Cain. We give in to sin and sin takes over. Sin takes over. When we sin against each other, when we sin against the brethren, when we don't love each other, when we don't forgive each other, when we don't, when we don't think about each other or gossip about each other, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. So we have to be careful too. When we're confronted with sin, not to minimize it, sometimes we cover sin and we lie, just like Cain. And to what does John equate Cain's attitude to? That of the world. Look at verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Remember that Jesus told the disciples that the world was going to hate them because the world hated him. But they were not of the world. But if they were, the world would hate them. The point John is making here is that the world hated Jesus for the exact same reason Cain hated Abel. Jesus revealed the world's sin. And he revealed the world's true nature. And therefore, the world hated him for it. And it's interesting that there are only two things can happen when the world is faced with reality and truth. When the world is faced with reality and truth, only two things can happen. There will either be repentance and change, or they will try to destroy the one who is exposing it. Look what they did to Jesus. Jesus called Satan the prince of the world. And he controls it today. He controls it through murders and lies. We know that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is not a level that I wish to play at. This is a sandbox I want to vacate. For me, this is a cat box. This is a litter box, and I don't want to be around it. I want to move out of it. That's a visual for you, isn't it? (laughs) Gusick said this, quote, We shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us. But we should be surprised when there is hatred among the body of Christ, unquote. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. John once again used those familiar words, and we know. We so much many times forget those little words. We know. John is telling you, you know this, believer. You know this. This is a place of assurance. Knowing something the way we're supposed to know us should give us assurance. It should give us peace in our heart. It should help us to come to total assurance. This is a place of peace, of love, of joy, a place where the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives. We should know these things. Why? Why should we know these things? James... John John tells us because we've passed from death to life. We've moved from death to life. A true, genuine love for God's people is a basic sign of being born again. I have to tell you that if this love is not evident in your life, you really might question your salvation. Yeah, I said it. If you don't have a genuine love for the brethren, I'm not saying there aren't going to be disagreements. Name a family that doesn't argue now and then. But there should be love. John says, you know this. You know that this is love and you have this assurance. The reason you know it is because you've passed from death 
to life. You know, we used to dwell in a place of death, at least I did. I dwelt in a place of death, a place where there was hatred, where there was jealousy, where there was bitterness, where there was hopelessness. It was a place of darkness and it was a place of despair. It was a lonely place that carried the stench of death. And I dwelt there for many years. But the Lord brought us out of that place. The Lord has brought us out of that place and he has placed us into his marvelous light. He has taken us from the darkness of death and he has placed us in his marvelous light. It is a place of life, abundant life, abounding life. If you find yourself in a place of death, you need to pass over from death to life. I want out, Dave. I got to pass over, man. I am in the darkest and darkest death. I can't do it anymore. You're in a great place. Come with me and let's go to the cross. Because that's where you pass from death to life. Come to the cross. Lay it at Jesus' feet. Confess and be renewed, restored, be born again at the cross. But John's not done. He's got another flight on those spiring stairs. Look at verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know, there they are again, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Once again, it seems like John is really listening to what Jesus taught, especially in the Sermon of the Mount. In Matthew 5, when he talked about the fulfillment of the law, when you, when you looked at someone with hate in your heart, you were committing murder. When you had this unrest in your heart and you looked at them, you were committing murder. Jesus said, this is what a heart issue looks like. Oh, you may not carry out the action. You certainly may not carry out the action. I hope you certainly don't. But when we wish a person dead, when we say that we hate them or when we ignore them, we might even treat them as they are dead. Hatred can be shown passively or actively. When you have hatred in your heart, it might not cause the damage that actual murder does. But I can guarantee if you're carrying hatred in your heart, you're carrying guilt, you're carrying shame, you're distancing yourself from the body of fellowship, and you're, you're, you're just miserable. You're miserable, especially when that person comes around. Lady came to church one day, and this other woman came up and grabbed and hugged her and says, welcome, good to see you. The lady couldn't understand because she and that lady didn't get along. That lady had never come to her and hugged her, had never, ever said anything to her, ignored her completely all the time. It wasn't until the end of the sermon when the pastor said, now I want you to do what you were supposed to do last week. Find the person you can't stand and give them a hug. He says that you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And again, it's habitual. We're back to what he said last week about sin. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we all fall short. We have an advocate with the Father. But one who lives in a constant lifestyle of hate, a constant lifestyle of putting people down and, and that hatred that comes from that, you don't have abiding life. You need to check yourself. The mirror is up, folks. You need to look into it. And said, is that me? Is that where I belong? And that where, and that where I'm residing? To live in a practice of murder. To have a lifestyle of hatred. Hatred for the brethren is to demonstrate that you don't have eternal life abiding in you. But you're not born again. John has been telling us since day one that just because you say you're a Christian does not mean you are. Unfortunately, John makes it clear. He says, if this is you, you're deceiving yourselves. You're deceiving yourselves. 
And if it's you and you're not deceiving yourselves, you possibly could be deceiving others. So how do we know if we're one of these? How do we know if this is us? Well, John's reply is constant and simple. There's three tests of measure of proof of what a genuine Christian should be. It's the test of love, the test of truth, and the test of morals. If we believe in what the Bible teaches is true, then we show that love one to another. And if we believe that the Bible is true, our conduct has changed. And if we believe that the Bible is true, we are becoming more and more like Jesus, and then our claim to be Christian can be proven true. Now, as I said a couple weeks ago, we're all under construction. We're all not perfect. We won't be perfected until we see Christ face to face. But it's a process. You need to be able to look back and go, I'm not that anymore. Mary in the chosen. I'm not that way anymore. I'm not that way. That's what happens when you're born again. When you meet Jesus face to face, you step out of death and you walk into life. I'm not that way. There's a huge contrast here we're trying to get. We're trying to show you a huge contrast between love and hate. Hate originates with the devil. Love originates with God. Hate divides people. Love unites people. Hate divides. Love unites. Hatred is motivated by personal sin, disobedience to God's word. Love is motivated by God's love through Jesus Christ. The love of Christ compels me. It also constrains me. We love because he first loved us. I know the scripture we're coming to says we love him because he first loved us. But you know, every once in a while, I think other translations have it right. And the NIV says we love because he first loved us. I love that. I didn't know anything about love until I met, met him, until his love was real in my heart. Hate is evidence of spiritual death, or love is evidence of spiritual life. So my brothers and sisters, my dear ones, the choice is yours. Life or death? I choose life. I, I choose life. So just suppose, just suppose you have some hatred in your heart today. You had an ill feeling towards someone. Let me tell you a few things. Number one, hatred does more damage to the hater than it does to the person who's hated. Because they might not even know you hate them. And you're eaten alive with it. It just wells and swells. And you're eaten alive with it. And every time they walk in, you're... And that's not speaking in tongues. That's speaking crazy. You know, while a real murderer, one who actually commits the act of murder, will probably be thrown into prison for the rest of their life. Hatred that is not confessed... And hatred that is not forsaken is actually worse because it puts you in a spiritual and emotional prison. You're behind bars that no one can see. You are trapped in death. There is an antidote. His name is Jesus Christ. And his antidote for you today, his antidote for me, his antidote is what you have heard from the beginning. It's one word, love. One word. Once we were haters. We were haters. I was a hater. I can speak for myself. According to Paul, 
Paul's letter to Titus. He says in Titus 3.3, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. Paul's words, what I have found in my own life and what I have found when I've seen some of you come from that dark place into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, that when a hateful heart opens up to Jesus Christ, it becomes a loving heart. It becomes a true loving heart. And instead of committing murder, you begin to love others the way Jesus has shown love to you. You begin loving others like you've never loved before. And you begin doing things for others that you've never done before. And your life becomes changed because the hateful actions, the hateful torment has been put away and done away with. And Jesus has taken his place. And Jesus has raised you up from life to death. And you've been born again into a new hope. You've been born again into a victory that can only come from Jesus Christ. And you are an overcomer in him. It was given his life for you. And in that life, we now have abundant life. The life that he's come to give. And even better, you get to share that message with the very one that you hated. You get to share that message with the very one you hated. And what usually happens is the Lord brings that person to him. And I'll leave you with one example. After Elizabeth Elliot's husband was killed by the natives in South America back in the 50s, the Lord told her to go back there. And she did. And she went back there. And she witnessed to the guy who stabbed and killed her husband to death. And he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. She couldn't do that on her own. There's no way she could do that on her own. There's no way she could go in there with a forgiving heart. There's no way she could walk in there and face this man who admitted that he was the one that killed him. But she did, led by the Holy Spirit. She went in there, witnessed to this gentleman, and he became born again. He became her brother. Think about that for a while. Oh, what the Lord can do with a willing heart. What the Lord can do in our hearts if we're willing he is always willing, always willing to do it. Are you? Are you willing to have him do that in your heart today? I hope so. There's no room for hate in a church. And sadly, it's prevalent in the church. And if you allow it to fester, it will cause division. And what happens is as division grows, you usually start looking for someone to be on your side. And then the vision grows bigger and nasty things happen. Don't be the one. Don't be that person. Be the person that Christ uses to love unconditionally. Yeah, that person hurt me. Yeah, that person did me wrong. Yeah, I know that. But you know what? Christ has loved me so much. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to love that person because Christ loved me. And he told me to love others the way he has loved me. And how has he loved me? Unconditionally. Let's be like that. You are You've been listening to a teaching from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Does your heart tend to ride the turbulent waves of the circumstances you find yourself in? Or are you more of that calm, steady sea that's fairly even and consistent? Well, in this book, John wrote to his readers to grow in their zeal and love for God while refuting those who were teaching false things. 
there is a steadiness that's encouraged, despite the waves of emotion and turmoil that you may face. Having that steadfast focus on God and His promise of eternal life is what can help your heart be at peace and be calm. If you missed any part of today's teaching or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about what you heard. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. In addition to that, you're welcome to email us at info at capewatchradio.com with any questions, concerns, or prayer requests. Would you rather talk to us in person? Then think about joining us this Sunday for a time of God's Word at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. All you need to know is our website, assurehoperadio.com. Thank you again for taking time to learn from the book of 1 John today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.